You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We are broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The Yukon Huskies have done it again, winning the men's national championship last night, 76-59, to behind 19 points and 10 rebounds from Tristan Newton. The Huskies finished the season 31-8, and and Dan Hurley gets his first national championship as the head coach of UConn. James Mesh is my producer and co-host. James, first of all, welcome. How are you? The second part of this is, this is now UConn's fifth national championship. With, and all of them coming since 1999. Is it time to say that UConn is a blue blood program? First off, doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. There you go. Second, I don't know if we can call it a blue blood just yet because, yes, over the last 20 plus years, you've seen a lot of success out of UConn, out of multiple programs. But I don't know if we can call it a blue blood just yet. So what's it going to take in your mind for them to become a blue blood? Oh shoot! If you can get a if you can get a couple more, if you can get like three more in the next ten years, <laughs> Jesus no, <I'm> Christ! <laughs> no, if you if you can get a couple more in in the next couple, then I'd consider I would I would say you're a blue blood because if you're if you're making constant runs and you're getting to the final four or at least the elite eight and you're making runs at championships and at least winning a couple of them. Yeah. Would you call Kentucky a blue blood? I mean, yeah. Yeah, you would, it's wouldn't just, you? It's just you you ask about that because you haven't really seen a whole they bunch of success out of them lately. A, they haven't won a title in 12 years. You almost you almost wonder if there's going to be a changing at the guard soon. Mm, they did sign Calipari to a lifetime contract. They did. Um, so... You know that's interesting. Um, w- would you consider Duke a blue blood? Yeah, yeah. They won a national title what five years ago? I think it was. Um, I would say UConn's a blue blood. I would say that this fifth title in a twenty-five year period puts them as a blue blood. Um, be- because like if if you to me if you can get a couple more, that's a that's a title every five years. Mm-hmm. That is insane not to mention because here's the, here here's the thing that really stands out if it's not a if it's not necessarily a blue bud i would consider it a dynasty you look at their you look at their history and you look at these five national championships with three different coaches so let's look at it. You won in twenty. You you won last night under yep. Dan Hurley. Mm-hmm. It's his first national title at UConn. Go back to twenty fourteen. They won it under Kevin Ollie. 
You go back to 2011 when they won it under Jim Calhoun. And then you go to 2004 when they won it under Jim Calhoun. And then in 99 when they won it under Jim Calhoun. So Jim Calhoun won three national titles at UConn. And then Kevin Ollie won one. And then now Dan Hurley has won another. So three different coaches have won five national titles in the last 24 years. I mean, look, I'm not going to say your opinion's wrong because that's impossible. Your opinion is your opinion. To me, that's a blue blood. That is cream of the crop in college basketball. Because let's since '99, how many titles has Kansas won? One, two. They're blue blood. They've won two titles since '99. Let's look at North Carolina. One, two, three. They've won three. Okay, that's that's pretty respectable. They're a blue blood for a reason. Dukes won one, two, three. Their last one coming in 2015. Again, that that that's fair. Villanova, I, I would I would start to consider them, you know, on the cusp of of being a blue blood um, with with those two that they won in 2016 and then again in 2018, but. The history of success, and not just from a winning a national championship standpoint, just the history of success for UConn men's basketball has been incredibly Im- impressive. Um, I mean, if you look at their record as a program, they have a 64% winning percentage as a program. And they have produced some great, great players in, in the game of, of basketball. Most most notably, probably Ray Allen, Rip Hamilton. Then you, you could even throw in Kimball Walker. But again, it's just, it's one of those things where it's not always about championships as much as it is a track record of sustained success. Now, again, I I get why some people kind of forgot about UConn because you went through a stretch from 2016 to 2021 where you didn't make the tournament. You didn't make the tournament. So I get it from that stance. But we're talking 20-plus, 25-plus NCAA tournament appearances as a program. I mean, that's you've made it to six Final Fours. You've made it to 10-plus Elite 8s. You've got five national championships as a program. That is a perennial power, in my opinion. Now, once again, I'll go back to reiterate the fact that I get it if you think you know, they need to win another one after that five-year period where they fell off the face of the earth. But the day after they've won the national title, you've got national pundits saying, watch them win it again in 2024. They're not losing a lot. They might actually be returning everybody. 
So it's it's looking very promising for UConn to potentially run it back in, in 2024. So things are going to be it, it's going to be something to definitely pay attention to as you know the the off season kind of gets underway here with the national championship game taking place last night. Uh, but you know one thing I thought that was cool was every year at the end of the national championship game the the one shining moment video comes out where it's basically a montage of things that happened in the NCAA tournament. And James, there was a Cajun in the one shining moment video for the first time in nine years. Kobe Julian made the video. So that was cool to see. Um, but no, you know, talking about today's show, what we're going to do, we're going to preview Louisiana versus Tulane baseball tonight at the Teague. Corey Glore, the voice of the Green Wave, he'll join us to preview the game from the Green Wave perspective. At 5 o'clock, Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf will come on. He'll talk the Masters getting underway, practice rounds getting underway in Augusta. And then at 5.30, we're going to go to the moon to talk about the 2-2 two and two Houston Astros, the 2-3 and three Houston Astros, as Game 6 of the regular season gets underway tonight at Minute Maid Park in a 7-10 first pitch between the Astros and the Detroit Tigers. Your poll question of the day, it's going back to what we were just talking about. Is UConn a blue blood program in college basketball? Once again, winning their fifth national championship last night. Yes, no, what's a blue blood? So far, 66% of you say yes, 26% of you say no, and the other 8% are saying what's a blue blood. Darren Francis reiterates the point five since 99. JK says yes, 100%. UConn, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Indiana, UCLA, Villanova, and even Georgetown. Yeah. I'm a little iffy on Georgetown, but I, I I could get the point if it was in the 80s talking about Georgetown, but I I think they've kind of fallen out of of that point. Because um, I'm looking at like the original six with like Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, Villanova, mm-hmm. UCLA, Indiana, you know, all those. It's like Con- Connecticut, or I mean UConn, they it kind of they have a little bit more holes in their history of kind of making the tournament and not and like how far they went. Now with some of the others, like kind of looking at Indiana, Indiana has quite a bit of holes as well in their year by years of did you make it to the NCAA tournament and how far did you go? So it's like to me, UConn is on that cusp. I have no issue if you say they are or not. I think if you can get like like four or five more years and if another one of those five is another championship and like three or you going to the tournament and like at least two of them you make it at least decently far at that point if we get to 2030 or close to 2030 and you replicate most of that success again i'm willing to i'm i'm putting it there six final fours which is 10th all time mm-hmm. five national titles and you appeared in the ncaa tournament 33 times pretty impressive it is that's pretty impressive um and look obviously you know we talk about blue bloods and it's actually kind of funny the 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 reason the term came to be is that most of the teams included in that category were are blue yeah 
Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Villanova, UCLA, UCLA, UConn. They all wear blue. Um, and so then there, and then there's Indiana. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just red, red and white. Got to stand out. Got to got to stand out somehow. But uh, no, we got a great show lined up for you today. Once again, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios. Here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The Saints meeting with a pair of Tennessee stars this week in quarterback Hendon Hooker and wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. Could either one of those guys be drafted at 29? We'll talk about that. Plus... Continuing the conversation of LSU women winning the national championship, hear a little bit more from Kim Mulkey as well as Alexis Morris and Angel Reese next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to see the defending World Series champs in person, well, then you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our first Astros weekend getaway of the season. Houston takes on the Texas Rangers on Saturday, April 15th, and you can be there. Just register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game. At Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. 418. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on the game. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Give us a call on the hotline 337-706-0111. James, the Saints meeting with Hendon Hooker today. They'll meet with Jalen Hyatt later this week. And there's also a meeting set up with Houston quarterback Clayton Toon. Do you see the likelihood that the Saints draft any of these guys? And if so, where? Geez, I hope not. Because to me, if you're going to draft a quarterback and you're going to draft a quarterback that's a little on the older side, you know, like Hinton Hooker, at that point, you'd want to draft him in the first round because guess what? You just got your guy in Derek Carr for the next couple of years. And with drafting somebody in the first round, you have the option to do a fifth-year extension, a fifth-year option. Correct. So that way you have one more year of not having to pay him the big bucks if you like how he plays that much. It keeps him on a lower contract. So with Hendon Hooker, he's already 25. Derek Carr, you would sign him to a multi-year deal. You probably won't be looking to move on from Derek Carr until as soon as the third year unless he's just absolutely falling off a cliff, which I don't anticipate Derek Carr to do that much of a fall. So at that point, if you were to draft someone like Hendon Hooker or go get a Stetson Bennett or the Houston quarterback in later rounds, you're not going to have that fifth-year option to sign up for to have that extra year to see what he can do and be like, hey, okay, we let's not give you a whole bunch of money just because we saw you play for like five games because we had Derek Carr playing the whole time. That's why I'm saying you want it. To me, if you're going to draft a quarterback, wait at least a year. Unless you were that sold on Hendon Hooker, and you want to get him that bad at 29, 
even then, there's other holes you could fill with that 29 pick. You could still go get more O-line depth. You still need more edge rushers. To me, you should wait at least a year to go get quarterback in the draft. Now what about Jalen Hyatt? Jalen, at 29 or 40, I'm not against it. I'm not against it because getting another receiver, that wouldn't hurt. I have a feeling what the Saints are going to do is they're going to take defensive tackle at 29, and then they're going to hope and pray that Darnell Washington falls to them at 40. And, you know, if that's the case, I, I don't know that I'd be mad at it. Um, obviously, tight end could be a position that could be further developed uh, for New Orleans. I really like Jawan Johnson. I like what Jawan's done, uh, but I just don't know that Jawan really fits what the Saints want to do from a tight end perspective, um, which is which is interesting. Um, but again, you know, I've seen multiple mock drafts that have Darnell Washington falling to the Saints at forty. And if that's the case, I mean, that's a that's a value pick right there. Yeah, because as explosive and like how much of a big name he's drawn himself for the likelihood that we're going to see like all three of the top tight ends go in the first round, I don't think that's very likely. No. Michael Meyer, Darnell Washington, and the other one escapes me. I, I can't remember off top. But having all three of them... How often do we see tight end? How many, how many not, times do we see three of them go in the first round? Not very, not very often. likely. I think he's a guy that you're going to see early day two. Darnell Washington get because you see plenty of guys who are like, wow, I felt like he's a name that could have been in the first round, but he ended up falling in the second. Now going back to talking about LSU basketball yesterday, obviously t- today Caitlin Clark kind of defended. Angel Reese and and the whole taunting situation. So obviously everybody can put that to bed now. Um, but again, you know, you we talked about it a lot yesterday, winning 102 to 85 for the first national title in school history. There's going to be a parade tomorrow at the PMAC. It's going to be great. Uh, and now's a perfect opportunity for LSU to just take a breath. You know, it's funny. I heard Kim Mulkey say in an interview yesterday that she was she couldn't wait to get home and buy some crawfish and a Barks root beer and just breathe. Oh, that sounds amazing right now. She said she just wanted to breathe, and then they would they would go from there. And obviously, Alexis Morris announced today that that she was declaring for the WNBA draft. Uh, that's not surprising. She has no eligibility left. She wasn't coming back to LSU. Um, so certainly not surprised to see her declare for the WNBA draft. But before we hear from them, let's go to the game hotline now. David, what's going on? Oh, not much. You were mentioning um, the Saints were possible. I guess they were looking at the young man, was it from Tennessee? Hendon Hooker? Hendon Hooker. Now, I don't think that would be a bad idea if they were to bring him in and just let him sit behind Carr and, you know, soak up some of that experience, of course, and maybe if Carr, I know Carr is kind of a temperamental guy, gets in his fields every now and then, and maybe get some knowledge from him, you know, if he's willing to do that, because it's not like Carr is this. Has Carr ever won a playoff game as a starting quarterback? No, but he's only played in two. 
Okay. He's been in the league at least, what, a decade? Maybe between eight to ten years, I'm yeah. saying. You know, so, you know, the Saints may just be like, hey, you look, you're you're good, but you're not great, so we'll bring this little young guy in for a just-in-case situation, which wouldn't hurt. I I don't I just don't see the Saints doing that. You paid you paid Derek Carr 150 million dollars. I mean you're you you're paying him to be the guy. Well, no, I'm not saying that they should bench him. You know, I'm just saying bring the young man in, maybe sit two three years, and see what happens. You you never know. You know, it is the NFL, and the whole saying is what not for long. You never know. Yeah, I mean, and and, um, and I and I get it. I just don't know that the Saints should spend a first round pick right now on a quarterback. But you think they're not keeping Jameis? Well, he's the backup. Or that's up in the air. No, no they, they re-signed they, him. They, they re-signed Jameis. They're keeping Jameis. Okay. Well, then that would be, um, yeah, I can see some going elsewhere. I didn't know they kept Jameis. So. Yeah, they, they, re-signed, yeah. they re-signed Jameis. You can use that pick on something else. Now, you mentioned the LSU, the, the parade for the ladies. I hope it is packed beyond belief for the, for the, um, for the parade that they'll give the ladies basketball team. Uh, just as much as if it were the guys winning the national championship, Baton Rouge, LSU students, show out. Absolutely. Absolutely. David, appreciate the call, man. Yeah, you know, looking looking at the game again, uh, following the the victory, Kim Mulkey, we we played a little bit yesterday. We're going to play a little bit more now. Kim talked about how at the end of the game, the emotions started to pour out of not only herself but her coaches and her players. Uh, and she talked about it was special to see everyone get emotional. So I'm relieved because I don't have to think about that anymore. Um. To see after the ball game, the former LSU player, Simone Augustus crying and seeing all those people that really were a part of all those final fours but just couldn't get over the hump. To walk down the hall and see my former ba- uh, Baylor players that won championships with me waiting for me. To look in the stands and see my former Louisiana Tech players. It's emotional, it's emotional. And um, I am so happy. I really don't know how to explain it. Just a, a, a deep gratitude and happiness. And yes, it does matter being back home. I won Louisiana. I won championships at Louisiana Tech. I looked out there at those banners hanging at practice the other day here, and Baylor's the first banner that's hanging. And underneath there, there are three national championships. And then there's a school in between my Louisiana Tech, two national championships. And I thought, Kim, you're getting old. You're getting old. Kim Mulkey now, if, if you count her too as a player, has now won her sixth national championship in, in women's college basketball. Uh, Alexis Morris was, was, you know, excellent. Sunday afternoon, 21 points, nine assists, and she really did a nice job. I know people are going to look at the stat line and go, well, Caitlin Clark had 30 points. Does she really do that well defensively? Trust me. You held Caitlin Clark to 30, you you won. And it's it's not just that Caitlin made the shots. It was when you watch Alexis, it's not like they were wide open shots. Mm-mm. Alexis Those bothered her. 
Oh, yeah. Alexis bothered her all game long, and Kim Mulkey talked about Alexis Morris's defense on Sunday afternoon. Probably what you want to write, you just want to give me, you want me to give you a little reinforcement, right? Because I'd say, what did you think? Alexis Morris guarded two of the finest women's basketball players that our game has. She did it against Amore with Virginia Tech, and she did it tonight. She didn't, she didn't keep them from scoring. They're that good. But what she did is she made every shot they took a little bit maybe more difficult instead of easy. We knew Caitlin was going to shoot the ball. We knew she was going to make her threes. But we couldn't give her the 10 to 12 points she always gets off of layups. I, I don't know if I'm right, but I think she may have only gotten one inside the arc tonight. She got free throws and she had those threes, but I'd have to, I'd have to break this stat sheet down. She didn't get many layups in the arc. And Alexis, she guarded two of the best our game has to offer. She was absolutely Kim, right on that. Kim was spot on. She got one layup. One layup. And that was in the fourth quarter. She was 8 of 17 from behind the arc. Clark Clark really settled for a lot of three. She never she didn't attack like she did with South Carolina. Because LSU, they were more worried about, look, it, they're going to make their threes. Just don't let them well, get the points in the paint like we had seen on Friday she, night. She also knew that against South Carolina, she was going to have a little bit of a speed advantage. Because they're bigger. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to be as fast when talking about South Carolina. So she knew that she would be able to beat players to the rack. She wasn't going to be able to do that against LSU. Um, and, and, you know, talking about the players, Angel Reese talked about how the bench stepped up in, in such a big way, you know, outscoring Iowa 30-8 to eight on Sunday. Yeah, no, this wasn't about me. This is all about the supporting cast. Everybody has played a role all season. And tonight, just coming from the bench, Jazz, Poa, Samaya, they came and stepped up and played big. I mean, they didn't. Uh, for Jazz, she probably didn't want to go out as a senior, go out the wrong way, and she wanted to win. So she did whatever it took to win. And Poa played a great job coming in when Alexis was in foul trouble. And Samaya, as a freshman, just getting big rebounds, being aggressive as, as well as she can. And I just, I just think everybody played their role. And that was our, our goal this year, just everybody piecing it together. Yesterday we talked about Alexis Morris and her relationship with Kim Mulkey having been dismissed at Baylor and then returning two years later when when Mulkey comes to Baton Rouge to join her at LSU. Alexis said that her relationship with Coach Mulkey is different. I came and got it back. You know, I lost, you know, I got dismissed 2018, 2019. That's the year that they won a national championship. Coach, we got it back. I appreciate you for giving me the opportunity. You've always been a winner in my eyes ever since I was 12 years old. Um, it's hard to explain the feeling. It's kind of like, um, in a way, Coach Mokey's um, an amazing person. She knows how to get the best out of me. She's been knowing me since I was a child, literally. So I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to have the type of relationship with another coach that I have with Coach Mulkey because it's, 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 it's special. It's different. LSU finishes the season with a record of 34-2, and wins their first national championship in program history. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they might go back-to-back. Just, just throwing that out there. 
We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll go behind enemy lines for some Cajuns baseball. We'll look at the matchup between Louisiana and Tulane. Hear from Corey Glore, the voice of the Green Wave, next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Golf's first major is a tradition unlike any other, and now you can bet on who you think will win at Augusta on Fandle. Right now, all customers can get bonus bets back if your Augusta winner pick doesn't win but finishes at least in the top 10. I'm going to take Rory McIlroy to win at Augusta, Scotty Shuffler to play well, and then Jordan Spieth to finish in the top 20. There's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use, there's so many different betting options, and then when you win, you're going to get paid instantly. So drive down Magnolia Lane and take a swing at betting at the first major. Visit FanDuel.com KLWB and get bonus bets back if your Augusta winner pick doesn't win but finishes at least in the top 10. That's FanDuel.com KLWB. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana permitted parishes only. Refunds are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after the receipt. Max bonus $25 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on this Tuesday. Here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The Louisiana Ragin Cajuns will be at home tonight to take on the Green Wave of Tulane before they head to Charleston, West Virginia for a three-game series with Marshall this weekend. To preview tonight's matchup between the Cajuns and the Green Wave, we have the voice of the Tulane Green Wave, Mr. Corey Glore, joining us on the game hotline. Corey, really appreciate your time on this Tuesday afternoon, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. James, thank you for having me. Looking forward to making my way out there here. So, you know, looking at this Tulane Green Wave baseball team, you're coming into the Teague tonight with a record of 8-20, uh, you know, under a first-year head coach. Kind of up and down at points, spent a lot of time out on the road in the West Coast. You had Campbell, who is a top-15 team, now come to Turchin Stadium. And then you even made a trip all the way out to Hawaii for a three-game set. Just kind of talk about this season, you know, spending a lot of time on the West Coast and the, the ups and downs that the Green Wave have experienced. It's been, uh, I would say, grueling is the appropriate term for what they, this team has experienced in non-conference. And Jay Ullman, the, the head coach now, he is a West Coast guy. That's where he was born, raised, and coached throughout his time before coming to new orleans and so he put west coast trips on the books this year to start off non-conference play it started at irvine and fullerton and then uh, a three-game set in, in los angeles with ucla usc and then sacramento state and then the one he just alluded to a trip to hawaii a couple weekends ago with a stop at in washington right before that and so this schedule was designed to really test this group, and they've been tested. And not just those road trips and the travel, but you alluded to 
Campbell coming in and playing, and the, you know the non-conference opponents that Tulane has had this year have a winning percentage of about six ten. That's best in the American, and so they they have seen up close and personal some high quality teams have gone through the road trips, and now I think the goal is with with how the the losses piled up in non-conference is that that type of schedule does it get you ready for conference play because that's where you kind of have to stack the deck now if you're Tulane and. You know, they won two over the weekend against Memphis, and so they're off to a better start here in league play. But that's what you hope the lesson is off of this really grueling non-conference schedule. You brought up Jay Ullman in his first year here, and you, you talked about him being a West Coast guy playing that West Coast style of baseball. What have you seen out, out of his body of work thus far? I know it's only year one, so it's going to take some time to, to build his recruiting style and things of that nature. But talk about him as a coach. You know what stands out, and what do you think he's going to do at Tulane? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Matt. The West Coast style of baseball is what he'd like to instill here, and that's a change from how Tulane had played in past years. And so, asking this team to play a little bit more small ball, asking this team to to lay down sacrifice bunts, they're running a lot more this year than had than they had in years past. That are just trying to rely on big swings, extra base hits. But it starts with, you know, getting pitching in line, and they had a bunch of new pitchers in this pitching staff starting this year. You know, they feel good right now about the weekend rotation. That had a very good weekend against Memphis. But there are a lot of questions still behind that, and you'll probably see up close and personal tonight some of the guys who are looking to have some answers here. And so – the, the pitching is, is the work in pro- frankly, well, admittedly, it's all work in progress. But this is what happens when you try to shift how a team attacks an opponent when, you know, in the years past, they haven't necessarily played that way. And so the growing pains are there. Now, the one thing that's been constant with this 8-20 start is that there hasn't really been a major slip in terms of attitude in terms of focus in terms of interest uh it's been rough but there's no question that everyone's still kind of banded together here and that they will go to war for coach Ullman a lot of these guys were brought in by him keep in mind this is first year's head coach but he was the recruiting coordinator for a couple years uh and so like they listen to him they respond to him they are buying into him um, they're just having to tweak a lot of how they play prior to this year, and that's why you're seeing the ups and downs. Looking at the statistics, you got a pair of Brady's leading the charge: Brady Abair and then Brady Marget. You know, two ninety one, two eighty seven batting averages. Abair with one home run, five home runs for Marget, and then of course Brennan Lambert coming in with sixteen RBIs and four home runs so far this year. Uh, you know, what kind of stands out about the, the batting lineup and, and what can the Cajuns expect from this Green Wave team? It has reshuffled, and I don't think it necessarily looks the way Coach Oldman thought it would at the start of the year. I think that the one guy of that three that is kind of doing what we all kind of thought he would do is is Margetts, and uh, and that's a Milwaukee boy. I had to clarify that when he first came on, so it's not the Cajun pronunciation there. But um, he's doing his, his part at first base. He's been a little bit up and down and inconsistent, but there was a group of really four sophomores this year that were being leaned on pretty heavily to be the center plate piece of this lineup, and Margette is one of those. The other three have struggled. Theo Banks, who, who, who hit the walk-off home run, 
Sunday over Memphis. This is an all-world talent that just had a a brutal start to the year. Jackson Lynn is a similar spot right now, and he's had a rough stretch of late, has lost playing time. And then Gavin Scholes, the shortstop, he's the fourth member of this group that had a great end to last year that has started to refine his footing now the last couple of weeks. He he leads the American and and walks, so he's getting on base a lot. Um, The the goal, like, they've been getting on base here, Matt, the problem has been hitting in clutch situations. They, they're a 234 team with runners in scoring position. Uh, and so getting on hasn't been an issue. Getting them in has been the biggest flaw here the last couple weeks. Chatting with the voice of the Green Wave, Corey Glore here on Crunch Time. Looking at the pitching, you talked about it being a work in progress. Your, your three starters, Ricky Castro, Dylan Carmouche, and Chandler Welch, all doing you know decent jobs so far on the season the ERAs don't look terrible. The records don't look that bad either. Uh, you know, what stands out about each of these guys? And, and more importantly, looking at tonight's game, who are the Cajuns going to face tonight? Well, the starting rotation, they had their best all-around weekend this past go against Memphis. There was just four earned runs amongst the, the three of them, and that was all from Castro on Sunday. and He's been the most consistent of the bunch. Welch was incredible Saturday and got no run support to help him out. And Dylan Carmouche has been a tough luck loser on Fridays throughout the year. They hadn't won a Friday game at all this season until this past one, and he had been rarely pitching with a lead. So he finally got one and he cashed it in. Beyond that, I mean, now with where things are, Matt, with this club, that they need to load up in conference play. And that's not saying they're going to drive the two hours here and and try and lose this game. They're going to throw what they can to grab a win here, but you're going to see a lot of guys out of this two-lane relief core. It's giant whole staff night, no question about it, here for the Wave. It's going to start with Gavin Smith, who is a a, a JUCO transfer this year, started at Florida State, who has struggled this year. He's got good thinking stuff, but he's probably going one inning, maybe two, and then you'll see a lot of Green Wave pitchers coming in um, especially with a Thursday start to this weekend set against South Florida. And so it's going to be piece it together. And frankly, it's going to be more about how many swings you get off rather than how many runs you give up because it might be that type of game tonight. You know, you brought up the, the trip to South Florida, a quick turnaround before you guys head to Tampa. Well, what's the expectation from that series in South Florida? And then, you know, LSU comes to, to Greerfield on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, this team treated the start of league play last week that the message was that Friday was opening day. Like, they they sent the message across this coaching staff to these players that there's a reset opportunity to this season, and it started last Friday, and and they won the series against Memphis. Now you got to keep on knocking off weekends here, and South Florida had a similar approach. They had a rough non-conference slate. They took two of three at UCF to start off their conference play. And so, um, you know, going on the road where they are very road tested so far this year, that's not going to phase them. But you have two teams that, you know, didn't have the best starts of the year. They're looking to remake themselves. And so the, the goal for Tulane is to, you know, the, the, uh, they want to be a contender in this league. And the seven weekends remaining, if you keep winning those, you will be. Um, a lot needs to get fixed for that. And then you mentioned the LSU game coming up a week from tonight. The, the mantra is not going to be too different than what it's going to be tonight. It's just going to be at home and in front of 
a sellout crowd. Now they'll see a great crowd tonight, most likely, but you know, you want to beat the number one team in the nation? Absolutely. And they will do what they can, but it's all about weekends right now here for Tulane. And so tonight, next Tuesday, this is really about seeing what arms can step forward for them, get a zero or two on the board, and then you can drop them into weekends. If the Green Wave want to pick up a win tonight against the Cajuns, what are what are three keys to victory for Tulane? Hit the ball with runners in scoring position. I mean, that could be your top three right there. I mean, I, I don't think there's, uh, there's any pretense here that Tulane's going to be able to hold down this Louisiana lineup, which runs better than most in the nation, that has a lot of high-quality left-handed bats in there as well, um, and, and just has some seniority in there, too. It's an older lineup, and Tulane's still a pretty young lineup here. And so they're going to need to match the Cajuns swing for swing. Like They, they will have some ebbs and flows on the mound, but the way to win this game for Tulane is to actually come through with runners in scoring position. They did so a couple weeks ago at Washington. They won a slugfest there. They're going to probably need to do something similar here because they haven't been the most adept at holding base running games down this season, and Louisiana is going to go, and they will make sure they will turn a single into a double. How these pitchers react to some stress uh, is going to be the second key here, but it all starts with hitting with the ball with runners in scoring position. Corey Glore, the director of broadcasting and the voice of the Green Wave, joining us here on Crunch Time as Louisiana prepares to take on the Green Wave tonight at MLT Moore Field with a 6 o'clock first pitch. Corey, really appreciate your time. Have a great call tonight. Uh, safe trip to Tampa this weekend, and hope you and your family have a, a very happy Easter. Thank you. You as well. Appreciate it. And there he goes, Corey Glore, the voice of the two-lane Green Wave. We'll take a time out and wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're tired of your boring man cave, well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a new flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one here as we're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. We're talking about blue bloods. Is UConn, in your opinion, a blue blood in men's basketball? Yes? No? Or what's a blue blood? You can go ahead and check it out on our Twitter and Facebook pages if you haven't already. Give us a like, comment, and just share. Looking at the Pelicans. New Orleans Pelicans got a big matchup tonight, Matt, against the Sacramento Kings. Currently, the New Orleans Pelicans are the eighth seed in the Western Conference, still in that play-in tournament, and they got to face the Kings, who are currently the three seed. Real quick before we get into that, I'm just going to throw out there, 
from a women's basketball perspective, UConn's certainly a blue blood. Yep. So, um, so someone called in earlier saying absolutely, but UConn isn't quite there just yet. Um, I, that's fair. Uh, like, but no, like it's 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 on that it's on that bracket. When when you look at this game with the Pelicans, you're at home, which gives you some confidence. You're 25 and 13 inside the Smoothie King Center this season. You don't have any players on the injury report, which is which is a positive. Uh, and you've won four out of your last five. So you, you've got to feel pretty good about yourself right now, uh, sitting two games above five hundred. But look, if you want to make the jump here and potentially find yourself out of the play-in, you got to win tonight. A win tonight against the three seed would pay huge dividends for you considering you only need half a game to get out of the play-in. So if I'm the Pelicans, I'm looking to find any way possible to beat Sacramento tonight. And not to say that Sacramento isn't going to be a tough matchup, but it feels a lot more favorable in the Pelicans. It's a favorable matchup. Because at this point, looking at it, they're four-point favorites, but also Sacramento's been playing 500 balls since March 20th. They've lost to the Jazz. They've lost to the Celtics. They beat the Jazz again coming back and then beat a, the Suns at home. But then they also lost to the Timberwolves, beat the Trailblazers twice, and they ended up and losing then, in overtime to the Spurs the other night. And then here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sacramento can't move. Mm-hmm. They can't move. The Suns are four games behind them with four games to go. The Kings just need to win one of their final four games and they're going to stay at three. So this kind of feels like a Pelican trap should, game. This feels like it. The Pelicans should want it more. Yep. Because this is the start Absolutely. of a three-game homestand. You got four games left. You played seventy-eight so far. Three of these next four. These next three games, you have home because you're going to play the Kings tonight. Correct. You're going to play Memphis tomorrow. Correct. And then on Friday, you're going to play the Knicks. So in these next couple of days, you got a big three-game homestand. You need to win at least two of these. And I think Sacramento is going to take it kind of easy. Probably play Demontis Sabonis a little less minutes, De'Aaron Fox a little less minutes. You know th- things of that because again, I, I really just don't think that Sacramento is going to move no matter what happens. Um, so I, I think they understand that. I think they understand that they need to only win one of the final four, and uh, I think the Pelicans could take a golden opportunity tonight. That, that stares right in front of them. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off talking about the Masters with Ron Mintz, and we'll go to the moon to talk about the Houston Astros right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the national champion LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the national champion LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337 one one as we are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction 
In hour number one, we talked about men's basketball, UConn winning the national championship. We also backtracked and talked about LSU winning the national championship. And we got a preview of Tulane and Louisiana baseball as they get underway in about an hour at ML Teagmore Field. Now let's transition to what I like to call one of the greatest weekends in all sports, the Masters. Augusta National Golf Club, Amen Corner, the Azaleas, you know all the all the coined terms of Augusta. Uh, it, it's going to be a great weekend. Scotty Scheffler looking to go back to back, get his second straight green jacket. His Champions Dinner menu for this evening looked pretty solid. Uh, Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf joins us here on the Game Hotline to preview the weekend in North Georgia. Ron, really appreciate you taking the time, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So looking at this tournament, one of the things that really stands out is the fact that 18 golfers from Liv are going to be playing in the tournament this weekend. And, and you know, you look at the Champions Dinner this evening, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Scotty Scheffler, Dustin Johnson, and Patrick Reed are all going to be in the same room. Do, do, do things maybe get a little bit interesting there? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that. I, I don't think so. Uh, even on the practice range this week, I'm, you know, I've been watching. They hug each other. Uh, they they actually miss each other. And I think a lot of the, the Leah versus PJ Tour uh, has been nasty and it's in courts now. But when it comes down to it, these guys are still still friends and I've not heard anyone say otherwise, so I don't think it'll be an, an issue. They respect the Masters and the, the tradition too much to, to let anything happen at the dinner tonight. Now, what have you seen from the practice rounds thus far? You know, obviously Tiger's there after taking the last couple of weeks off. Scotty Scheffler's your, your reigning Masters champion. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas. You know, what, what have you seen from the field so far this week? Well, um, the course is really soft right now, and it's it's not going to get any better because probably the top storyline is the weather. Uh, we've got a forecast of thirty forty 40% chance of storms on Thursday with winds up to 15 miles an hour. Friday, it jumps up to 70% storms. Saturday, 80% chance. Winds up to 25 miles an hour, and Sunday it drops down in the morning to 50, and it clears off Sunday afternoon. I look at this, and, you know, it's not unusual for the Masters, April showers, as we call them, and I think we're looking at probably a Monday finish from what I can see. So that's been the thing I've heard the most is, is the course is very soft. It's, and, of course, everybody wants to talk about Tiger. It's been particularly rough with him because, uh, it's easier for him to walk on on hard turf than it's soft. Now, you know, a, another thing that's been talked about leading into this tournament is the 13th hole and the way that they've kind of lengthened the hole by about 30 to 35 yards. In, in your opinion, how does that change the entire tournament? Because in the past on 13, you you had guys really play aggressively and try to get on the green in two, and now with with the creek right there above, right by the green, 
you're probably going to see more layups now. You're going to see mostly layups, actually. I heard DJ Dustin Johnson say if he had more than a five iron in for his second shot, he would lay up. And uh, I would say 80% of the players in their pressers this week have said, you know, they just don't see any way unless they were able to cut that corner and it's, the trees have grown up. Uh, it's it's not going to be as easy as to draw around that corner like it used to be. But this is this is the way thirteen was designed to play when they built the course. Uh, and I'm older than you guys, but I remember in the eighties and nineties, uh, you you know, going for two was was a risk or reward. I saw Curtis Strange go for two uh, on thirteen and hit it in Race Creek and lost the tournament. Uh, and Seve did the same thing in 2000, uh, I think it was 2005. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, they, they wanted, the, you know, Clifford Roberts and Bobby Jones wanted this to be a, a risk reward hole. And it had turned into the easiest birdie hole in the course. And that's not the way it, it was meant to be. So I, I'm all for the changes. I think the players understand it. I think it's going to add a lot of drama on Sunday because that's that's a keyhole, and and I'm all for it. Uh, there was one amateur yesterday that actually got on in two. I don't know his name, but he hit a high hook over the trees, cut the corner, and had an eight iron into the, the green, but that's, that's going to be rare this week. Chatting with Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf here on Crunch Time. You know, Scotty Scheffler won it last year. He's the betting favorite. Rory McIlroy up there as well. Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. And then I've said it all week. You just can't count out Tiger in these situations, no matter what physical condition he's in. There's a reason he's won a green jacket five times in his career. Who are you watching this weekend as potential winners for the Masters? Well, referring to Tiger, uh, he has the shot. I mean, he's, he's hitting some incredible shots, but this course, and several players have mentioned this week, is the most difficult course they play all year to walk. It may not look like it on TV, but it's up and down, up and down. And for Tiger and his leg, uh, what he goes through just to play at night, they spend a couple hours icing down his leg, then the physical therapists work on him. I mean, he, it takes a lot to get him ready to play. And, you know, 72 holes at Augusta is tough. He made the cut last year, shot 78, 78 on the weekend, which I thought was phenomenal. But I don't consider him to be a factor. I think he will make the cut. As far as other people, the big storyline for me is Roy McElroy, uh, who Vegas has 8-1, to one, the favorite. And he's going for the career slam. He's won every major but the Masters. He had a chance in 2011, I think, and uh, just blew up on the back nine, and he's been trying to get that. Uh, there's only six players that have ever achieved that, and uh, he won't say his name to that list. And, and he's got a lot going for him. He's got a brand-new putter he feels very comfortable with. His driver was causing problems, but that was because – he had played it so much and so long, these new drivers with the titanium and everything, the, the center, the face of the driver will 
soft and and then it not meet USGA requirements. So they had to build him a new driver, and they finally found one that worked. He's killing it off the tee, 340-yard drives. Tiger City outdrove everybody he played with this week. And so with the putter working and the way he drives the ball, uh, he's my favorite. Scotty Shuffler, only three people have ever won the Masters back-to-back. Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo, and Tiger. I think if anybody could do it, it could be Scotty. He plays one shot at a time. And um, I guess my dark horse will be Jordan Spieth. Um, of course, he's he finished second in his first Masters, won his second. But what really key for Jordan when he won the Masters was Ben Crenshaw taking him around and showing him all the idiosyncrasies of the course. And there's so many of those. On average, pros say it takes about five years to get to where you learn where to aim because it may look like it goes left, but it goes right. Right. And Crenshaw having one twice, he, he's Tudor Jordan. So uh, that's who I like this week. Um, John Rum, you know, he's had four of his last five finishes there in the top ten, but he's not really ever seriously contended. I don't know if it's a course that he – uh, suits his eye, but uh, he's one to watch as well. Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf joining us here on Crunch Time. Ron, really appreciate your time. I- enjoy the weekend in Augusta, and uh, we will uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Bye bye. And there he goes, Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf. God, I, I'm Augusta National and the Masters may very well be my favorite golf event of the season. Just the history and and the tradition and it 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 kind of feels like golf super bowl. On Sunday when when you've got guys, you know, breathing down each other's necks to get to that green jacket. I mean, it just really creates some drama filled moments and and it's really just fantastic. But look, Tonight is going to be the Masters Champions Dinner, like like I mentioned with Ron a second ago. Every Masters champion is going to get together for a dinner in honor of last year's champion. So the dinner this evening is being hosted by Scotty Scheffler, which means that he gets to pick the menu. James, listen to this. Cheeseburger sliders served... Scotty style. I'm not sure what Scotty style is. It does not tell us what Scotty style is. I need to know what Scotty style is. Um, firecracker shrimp mm-hmm. with sweet Thai chili and sriracha mayo. It's a, it's a really good start so far. Tortilla soup. Mm. Avocado, crispy blue tortilla strips, sour cream, sriracha, cilantro, and lime. And then for the entree... Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish. Okay. With family style mac and cheese, jalapeno creamed corn, fried Brussels sprouts, and seasoned fries. And then for dessert, a warm chocolate chip skillet cookie with milk and cookies ice cream. Just top it off with that. Man, if I had to give that out of 10 without doing a taste, just kind of like an on paper thing, or giving it a grade, give it a B. The only thing that really knocks it for me is I'm not the biggest fan of tortilla soup. I like that he's adding the avocados and having the tortilla chips in it, but overall, I don't know, just as a soup, not my big I'm not the biggest fan of that when it comes to soups. 
Now, the redfish, the ribeye, the sliders, still need to know what the Scotty way is. And then getting the cookie with milk and ice cream. And and the shrimp? That's tough. Yeah, that, that's, that's that, tough. They're, they're getting well fed tonight. They're getting well fed tonight. And then if you've ever seen Happy Gilmore. Yes. You, you know the moment where Happy goes into the dinner before the tour championship kicks off and they're like before he gets pranked correct and and they're like meet me at the ninth green at Mm -hmm. nine o'clock yeah and then the sprinklers go off so they scotty had the pga tour social media people type up the menu right Uh and then at the very bottom it said all live golfers meet at the ninth green at nine (laughs) i was like let's go that is awesome of course, you know, nothing's going to happen, but... No, but it's just a reference to a good right. moment in a that's, movie. That's so funny. That was so well done by not only Scotty Scheffler, but the PGA Tour as well. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time 516 on your Tuesday. When we return, we will talk Cajuns softball as they travel to Lake Charles to take on McNeese. Plus, we'll preview Cajuns versus Tulane right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are returning to the Cajun Dome Saturday, April 15th. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to help you score tickets to the show. Text GLOBE to 337-283-8100 for a family four-pack of tickets. Once again, that's GLOBE to 337-283-8100. Text to win your tickets to the Harlem Globetrotters and see the famed ball-handling skills, dunks, and laugh-out-loud antics. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 520 on your Tuesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Interesting thing to note here. Foster Morrow, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, he'd done a physical with the Saints, and they discovered that he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It has basically come down to, it's the outlook for Morrow currently is that it's not a matter of when he'll play. It's not a matter of if he'll play football again. It's a matter of when. So, the Saints are having Morrow complete that physical today. And it is very possible that a team could add Morrow to their roster and place him on the non-football injury list. James, if you're the New Orleans Saints, do you do it? Signing him to a futures deal? Sign him to an NFI deal. He goes on the non-football injury Mm -hmm. list, and when he's ready to return to football, you just promote him to the active roster. Yeah, I would do it if if you're able to. I mean, and because here's the other thing, and and I, I don't want this to sound wrong. If he's on the NFI, you don't have to pay him. You're not guaranteed a salary on the NFI. Mm-hmm. Now, considering what he's going through, I'm sure the Saints would probably strike up some sort of agreement where 
you know, they we'll toss they, you some change. They, they might pay him a million a year, two million a year, you know, whatever. But it, to me, it just feels like a no-brainer to add him for when he's ready. Yeah, because it's you feel like he's he's going to be good in in a in a relatively solid amount of time, and you'll be able to get him back in a future season, and then he'll still he'll still have some time because that's a whole year plus of him not getting hit. So he saved his body. Absolutely. The other thing is, I mean, making sure that he'd be back into football shape. But, I mean, that's no issue. Right. You, know, you you wouldn't have to worry about Foster being like, ah, I don't know, am I in football shape? Like, we've seen some guys in the past be like that. But, I mean, no, for the most part, you're you're not going to be worried about his physique because no. he's going to get he's gonna get himself back into it. And, I mean, looking at the reviews, I mean, you trust the Saints training staff. Trust the, trust the staff to get him back into shape. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, again, I just I don't see a negative for the, the Saints in this situation. But, you know, looking at Cajun softball, they're going to play McNeese tonight over in Lake Charles at Cowgirl Diamond. This is a matchup where, you know, one thing that doesn't really make sense to me, tell me how the Cajuns sweep James Madison on the road and fall out of the top 25. I, I, just, I, I don't understand. But McNeese is off to a strong start this year. We talked about that with Jim Gazzolo last week. The Cajuns doing what they typically do, um, you know, on the softball diamond. And this team, these two teams have already matched up with each other this season. Um, both previous meetings, obviously Louisiana winning both of those. This is going to be the third time this season. They played in Austin in the Texas Longhorn Invitational with a 7-1 to win for the Cajuns. And then they came to Lampson Park where the Cajuns beat McNeese 6-2. to There are 133 total meetings between the Cajuns and the Cowgirls. James, this will be a pretty good softball game tonight over in Lake Charles. The Cajuns just feel like the more complete team right now than McNeese. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the two matchups that we've already seen, it was pretty dominated by the Cajuns. Yet, even though they have the the two-game advantage, they both have the exact same record at 26 and 10. So I would still give the edge to the Cajuns to kind of have the three game sweep out of all the three games. But I feel like with this one being at Joe Miller ballpark tonight, I think it'll be closer. Yeah. You know, you look I, it, at, it'll come down to a couple of runs, not a big four, oh, five, it, six. It won't be a blowout. No, it won't be a blowout. Um, you know, you look at McNeese, Alea Seneca leading from a RBI pers- from a batting average perspective, excuse me, hitting 383 on the season. Chloe Gomez has had a strong year behind her at 354. Riley Bovier 315 with 16 RBIs. Morena Torres has 29 RBIs so far on the season. They've got talent up and down. Um and, and you know, when we talked to Jim Gazzola last week, the thing that stood out to him was the inconsistency in pitching behind Whitney Tate. I mean, Ashley Vallejo's had points where she's looked good on the season with a 7-7 and record. 
but a 3.1 ERA and giving up 10 doubles so far and six home runs on the season. Batters are hitting 240 against her. You just got to find the consistency there. Um, so, look, if you're McNeese, I think you're doing things the right way right now. Um, and then the Cajuns, kind of the same thing. Just kind of keep doing what you're doing. I think this game is going to come down to who can get a strong outing from their starting pitcher and whose offense can produce runs behind that pitcher. Because a pitcher can throw a seven-inning gym, but if her offense doesn't score any runs, then you know what, what, what good is it? So it'll be an interesting game tonight again, 6 o'clock first pitch from Cowgirl Diamond in Lake Charles between the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns and the McNeese Cowgirl. Speaking of Cajuns, baseball, Matt Deggs met with the media yesterday, and he talked about how it was a tough weekend for the Cajuns, dropping two out of three to App State. Just never really could get anything going Friday and Saturday against the Mountaineers. Tough week for us, obviously. Uh, coming off a couple of really good weeks, had a week off, which we probably needed. Uh, got some guys injured, banged up, and uh, just didn't go as planned. App State played uh, extremely well. They pitched us extremely tough, and we just didn't adjust soon enough. We were fortunate to win a game yesterday, which does keep us on track. Uh, to, to reach a couple of our goals as far as winning the league and uh, getting to 40 wins before the end of the regular season. So it was a good response yesterday, but just uh, not near what we were looking for. Kyle DeBarge, starting shortstop for the team. He's out with an injury for the next couple of weeks with an injury to his hand. And when Matt Deggs was asked about it, he said, put it plain and simple, Kyle DeBarge is the glue of this team. It'd be like trying to hold uh, – two boards together with with uh, Elmer's glue instead of a, a, a heavy-duty screw uh, or some nails. Uh, it is possible, correct? But he's, he's that guy. And, uh, you know, we certainly miss him. Uh, but like I told our, our boys after the game yesterday, we're down Debo, we're down Toy, down, you know, a couple other guys that are still cutting through it, but uh, it doesn't matter. Our job's to win. And uh, Cajun Nation doesn't show up to hear excuses. They show up to watch a great product, and we definitely didn't give them that on, on Friday or Saturday, but felt like we did bounce back and respond on Sunday. Coach said that starting this week with the game against Tulane tonight and then they'll leave tomorrow for a three-game set with Marshall in Charleston, West Virginia. He talked about how they need to get off to a strong start this week and and that starts tonight against the Green Wave. Yeah, there was yeah, there was some individual performances. Obviously Ben Tate and uh Cooper Rawls, Blake McGee, it was good to get those guys out there. I thought Moody looked good at the end. Uh Blake Marshall threw the ball well, I thought. Uh Peyton Lejeune uh, played well yesterday. Uh, John Taylor is obviously a, a nice fill-in for for Debo while he's out. But you know, we we win and lose as a team, and and uh, you know, we just it's one of those series that you can take a couple innings back. It's probably completely different, uh, but we just didn't get off to a great start. That's two weeks in a row. We need to get off to a really good start on Thursday. And lastly, with the matchup against the Green Wave tonight, you heard from 
Corey Glore from the Tulane side of things. How about the Cajuns? What's their thoughts on the matchup with the Green Wave? Yeah, you know, we saw them in the fall, and I, I like their ball club in the fall. I know they've played a tough schedule. They've been back and forth from the West Coast a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'm not – I'm not looking at records or ERAs or batting averages. I mean, if we were going to play a series based on that, then, you know, this weekend wouldn't have gone the way it did. Uh, the teams overachieve against us. They have an opportunity, and especially in our ballpark in front of a great crowd. Uh, a lot of times it, it it is something where they – play above and beyond their their ski tips and that's what they should do and, and uh, we've got to counter that by being our very best every single night first pitch set for six o'clock in that contest between the cajuns and the green wave we'll take a time out here on crunch time when we return at 5 31 right now we're going to the moon the Houston Astros need to get back to 500. They're sitting at 2-3 and three so far on the season. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU will join us. We'll talk about the first five games of the season, what's stood out, what's made some impacts, and uh, we'll preview tonight's matchup right here on the game. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Gardner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkes and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I'm good, bro. Hopefully we can get a, get a win tonight and make the, make the day better. Yeah, you know, two and three, I'd, I'd like to say that I'm happy with that start, but I'm not. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that series against the White Sox could have been a, a lot worse. Um, splitting seemed like a a punt, but a good punt. Um, dropping last night's game, kind of inexcusable. Uh, losing to the the Tigers, we got to really take this series before they head on the road. Uh, but it's early. I mean, we we notoriously start off slow. The Astros were 11-11 last year through 2022 games, so um, not too worried yet. But kind of disappointed. Yeah, you know, you look at the the season. You talked about the series with the White Sox. That could have been much worse than it, than it actually was. Um, I, I really think you should have won game one, and then you, you respond well by winning game two and game three, and then game four on Sunday just really kind of got away from you. And then you talked about dropping last night's game. You know, now you've got a, a matchup tonight and then tomorrow uh, against the Detroit Tigers, and then you've got you got to go on the road for a three-game set with Minnesota – What's what's kind of the mindset right now to get things back to 500 and then beyond that this week? I think it, it just lands on, on Framber and Christian Javier, right? Uh, they're your one-two. They're your Cole Verlander. They're the new version of that. Um, they're dudes. They're going to be up in the Cy Young votes. Uh, both showed really good stuff their, their first starts. Obviously, you know, Javier getting um, kind of bumped out. It looked like he hit a wall a little bit. Um, the last start, so just start building off it. Obviously, it's really early on. They have a, a, a tight leash, uh, but with the, the way the bullpen's been taxed, these guys got to step up and eat some innings over the next two games. Looking at the statistics, you know, uh, the batting statistics, that is, Alex Bregman has had 21 at-bats in the five games, and he only has three base hits. He has struck out seven times. 
Um, and, and you know, it's, this is it's the same song and dance that we had last year. Alex started off slow, and then the second his kid was born, he he turned a corner. Um, I was just really hoping that he would start this season off strong, rather than having to wait for him to turn a corner. Yeah, um, I I think. I think we were all a little bit concerned and, and we're waiting for those knocks, but they come in bunches. We saw that last night, three knocks uh, last night. I think he builds off it again tonight. Uh, look, man, Matt Manning's not going to win a, a ton of Cy Youngs in his career, but um, like AJ Hinch is, has known to, to be a tough out with the, with how bad the Detroit Tigers are when they play the Astros, they seem to be uh, geared up. So um, I'm, I'm looking to see him build off that three hit night last night. Um, something positive. He hit the ball hard. Uh, maybe tonight we see one on the train tracks. Jordan Alvarez already two home runs, nine RBIs already on the season. I mean, he he's doing exactly what you thought he was going to do, right? Oh, 100%. <clears throat> I think uh, the big thing, right, is are we watching like a Barry Bonds light? And, and that's no disrespect to Jordan Alvarez. That's how good Barry Bonds was. But it just seems like this guy knows the zone inside and out. Uh, he barrels balls. He when he when big moments come up, um, you just kind of know he's going to come through. And and we were we were at the game Friday night when the you know they were trailing. They bring in uh, Deekman the lefty to face Jordan the lefty, and then he clears the bases with a bases clearing double right. And I think everyone in that in the stands knew that he was going to do that. And, and I think that's rare. And I think we're spoiled as a fan base when uh, you have this talent that's one young, but two so dang good already. Um, it's it's really fun to watch night in, night out. You know, you, you brought up a point where, where you said that you didn't think the Detroit Tigers were very good, and, and I don't disagree with you. They're, they're not a great baseball team. But I find it interesting that they're not a great baseball team considering who their coach is. I mean, A.J. Hinch yeah. w- w- was a guy that won World Series in Houston, and, and he gets fired for the sign-stealing thing, and now he, he's the coach of the Detroit Tigers. I just feel like they'd be a little bit better under him than, than they've appeared the last two or so seasons. Do you think it's a a talent thing, or is maybe A.J. Hinch not as good of a coach as we might have thought? Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a fair statement right now. Um, also, I don't think his front office has really helped them that much. Um, Avila just was not a very, not a very good GM, and uh, they've had some high draft picks, and those guys haven't really panned out, and uh, you could say in Houston the high draft picks did pan out, right, with the, the Correas and Lance and Breggy. So uh, it's kind of a tale of two cities right now. So uh, really interested on um, how that develops, how long that leash goes for A.J. Hinch because um, I don't I don't know because they're just not winning. And you would think they would be winning with a young team, at least in exciting ways. Um, and even in their losses, you see, like, actual progress. And it just feels like they're just spinning the wheels right now in Detroit. Which newcomer for the Astros has really impressed you the most? I mean, obviously Jose Abreu is hitting 381 so far on the young season, but out of like Corey Jolks, Jeanier Diaz, and a, and a couple other young guys, who, who's really standing out to you so far? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it with the Jose Abreu. I, I, I on our podcast, I said he's the right-handed Michael Brantley. He just barrels balls and puts it all over the place. But the guy that's impressed me the the most is Mr. Ronel Blanco. Like that guy is an absolute. Done. I think he's your Javier 2.0. Uh, as they continue to stretch him out, he'll be a piggyback guy. He could be a spot starter. But with that that slider, that's just disgusting. And then his fastball sitting 97-98. Um, 
it's just another weapon that the Astros develop within the farm system. And Dana Brown loves him, uh, Mr. Blanco. So uh, I'm really excited to see what they do with him. Yeah, you know, you look at the pitching rotation, and you brought up Blanco. Luis Garcia had a good first outing. Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Hunter Brown looked good at points last night. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got Jose Urquidy as well. Could you see anybody that has kind of shown up as a reliever this season potentially fight for a starting spot later in the year? Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting when Lance comes back, right? Because now you go to that six-man rotation, and um, there's going to be bumps and bruises for the guys throughout, you know, throughout the year. So the Blancos, the Whitleys, um, I would think uh, Seth Martinez is a guy I think could stretch out a little bit more as well. But I think the leader in the clubhouse has to be uh, Ronel Blanco, just because the way when a, when a GM is that vocal about one arm and then it happens he's like hey i want to see this guy stretch out and then we see it all spring training um that's that's a big thing as much as we love martin maldonado does and and i know from a defensive standpoint how good he is but the the bat just hasn't been there um you know is it is it safe to say that the astros could be looking to move on after this season yeah, I think so. I, I It all depends on if Dusty comes back, right? Or uh, with this locker room being so player-driven, I could see them trying to bring him back for a, another year and then maybe like a team option for that second. Just because you have those young guys in Corey Lee and, and, and John Diaz that I don't know if they're fully committed to handing the reins over. Um, we, we saw that with Corey being held down and didn't make the, the roster out of spring training, right? And so um, – and, and – John Diaz hasn't got a, a knock yet, and I just I, I think in this day and age that leadership and and what he brings, whether it's not on an Excel sheet for all the analytic guys, but it's something that in the locker room they they really really respect. So I can maybe see them bringing him back for another year, but it's flip a coin right now just because that bat is just not there. Des, what are you looking for in tonight's game? Oh, Framber Valdez. Uh, I like to see him get a. Uh, good six, seven innings in, and then uh, the offense. Let's get it over to the next guy. I like to see some hits, uh, you know, being strong together, uh, not live and die by Jordan Alvarez being the offense. I would like to see the other guys uh, start start waking up a little bit and, uh, you know, stepping up for them. Des, Apollo Des of Apollo HOU joining us for To the Moon Tuesdays. Des, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the series when they travel up to Minnesota. And uh, we'll do it again next week, my friend. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Go Shros. And there he goes. Apollo Des of Apollo HOU. Yeah, you know, Fromber Valdez going on the mound tonight for the Strohs. He's got one start under his belt already. Five innings, six hits, four Ks, and seven and two-thirds. I mean, a five innings pitch, excuse me, 7.2 Ks per nine innings is the statistic. Christian Javier had a lot of strikeouts, but he also gave up a lot of hits in in his outing. Uh, You're going to have to figure out a way to control that. Hunter Brown, like I said, looked good in points last night. He did give up six hits and four runs. Um, But the velocity in which he was throwing, the way he was painting the corners, the stuff looked good out of Hunter Brown last night. So I think he settles in and has a big year. Look, I know everybody's – it's a slow start for the Astros, and, you know, 
It's annoying to see. But let me let me offer you a bright side. There's 157 games to go. So they're fine. I still think they win the World Series this year. They're fine. Michael Brantley's going to come back soon. Jose Altuve is going to come back soon. You're going to get Lance McCullers back in that pitching rotation. And I would not be surprised if the Astros make a splash trade at the deadline. They have a lot of pitchers to work with. They have a lot of young prospects to work with. Do not be surprised if they make a splash at the deadline. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has free tickets for you. Text Rodeo to 337-283-8100 for the Angola Prison Rodeo on April 22nd and 23rd. And you can see all the excitement. James, bull riding, wild horse racing, and convict poker. Just saying, I don't want to sit at a table while a bull's running at me. So I'm going to stay away from from convict poker. Text Rodeo to 337-283-8100 to watch the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, I'm not worried. Welcome back to Crunch Time. 553 wrapping up today's show. Let's talk some fighting Tigers baseball as we're getting ready to hand it over to Chris Blair as the Tigers take on Nichols tonight. I'm just going to start with the statistics, right? LSU sitting at 24-4. and They're still the number one team in the country. Surprise, surprise, not I. James, we, we, we've kind of made a running joke over the last couple of weeks about what Dylan Cruz's batting average is sitting at. Yeah, he's, he's been at above 500 for a while, and he was at 536 last week. Well, it got higher. <laughs> 543 in 94 at-bats. So that means you have stepped up to the plate and got a registered at-bat. So not a sacrifice, mm-hmm. not, a, not a hit by a pitch. 94 at-bats. And you're hitting 543. Wow. Slugging percentage, 947. On base percentage, 664. Have we tested to make sure that he's he, human? That he is human? Are no. we sure that, it, that he's not bionic? He, he, he very well may be. Like, are we sure he's not an alien? And then his OPS, which. For, for those of you that don't know, your OPS is your slugging percentage plus your on-base percentage. 1.611. Hello! LSU currently has four major contributors. Guys that start more games than they don't. Four with OPSs 
above 1,000. Four of them. Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Jared Jones, and Gavin Dugas. Now, the the statistic that, that really just jumps off the page at you is RBIs. Dylan Cruz has 35. It's very good at this point of the year. Tommy White has 45. And then Jared Jones, the true freshman, has 30. And then you got three guys that are 20-plus with Gavin Dugat at 25, Trey Morgan at 22, and Jordan Thompson at 20. But James, if you add up everybody's, LSU is sitting at 266 RBIs so far this season. Their opponents combine for 92. LSU is putting runs up at a, not even ridiculous, redonkulous pace. And look, I think Nichols is a great baseball team. They're very good. I think LSU wins tonight. Wow, what a bold take from you. Yeah, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if yeah. it pays off for yeah, them. Yeah, right? I mean, what are they? Looking at the money line, they're probably like minus 400. Oh. No, but Nichols, they're a good program. They're 17-13, and 13, but they're going against the number one team in the country. Uh, and it's going to be at Alex Box. Like, yeah. LSU is going to win tonight, unless they just absolutely fall apart. But neither of us see that happening. No, not not this group. No. Not this group. Um, Nichols has won. The, the last time they beat LSU was in 2020. They won 4-2. to two. That game was played in Thibodeau. Their last win in Alex Box was 2015 when they won 6-3. to three. Last year, LSU won that game 10-6 to six against Nichols in Baton Rouge. We're going to turn it over now to the Tiger broadcast team, Chris Blair, from Alex Box Stadium as the number one LSU Tigers take on the Nichols Colonels. Thanks to our guests today, Corey Glore, Ron Mintz, and Apollo Des for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, same station right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. First pitch is at 6.30, but let's send it now to the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, for LSU and Nichols right here on The Game.